Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored. Every week, this podcast navigates a new topic through interviews with the most disruptive minds in sustainability, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use in your life, no matter your background. My name is Anna, I'm an environmentalist sustainability consultant and the host of this show. Today I'd like to talk about circular economy and cradle-to-cradle certification. As you might remember, earlier this year we had an interview with Claudia Sharakovsky from Eco-Intelligence Growth about sustainable fashion, and Claudia mentioned this type of certification being cradle-to-cradle, so I decided to follow up on it and make a separate episode. To help me unfold this topic, I invited Aglaya Gomez, Claudia's colleague from Eco-Intelligent Growth. I'm very excited she joins us today at Sustainability Explored, and I can't wait to start our interview. But before we do, you can use this moment to subscribe to the podcast to always be one step ahead with the sustainability news across countries and industries. All right, are you ready? Let's jump right into it. Hi, hi, everyone, and hi, my guest, Aglaya Gomez. Earlier this year, in February, we recorded an interview with Claudia Sharakovsky from Eco-Intelligent Growth uh, on sustainable fashion. There, in the interview, Claudia mentioned cradle-to-cradle certification, and we decided to make a part two of that um, interview, of that recording, with Claudia's colleague, Aglaya Gomez. Aglaya, hi, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great, thank you so much. Welcome to the show, to Sustainability Explored. I'm very happy to have you here with us today. I always start with asking my guests about their path in sustainability. Would you like to introduce a little bit more to say where you are right now in your um, career? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. And yeah, I, I don't know if you can see it, this is not my house anymore. We finally can come to the office again. So I'm really excited about that. So I hope it shows. Uh, so I have been, well, I studied, I started studying uh, chemical engineering, but then after four years, I decided that I needed something different. And I started studying and I finished finally uh, environmental sciences. And uh, after that, most of my jobs have been around uh, communicating, um, not, I wouldn't say educating, but sharing knowledge and spreading uh, the word, raising awareness about different issues related to energy, to water stewardship. This is also the project that I did in, uh, in my environmental sciences uh, uh, career. And, um, and this led me 12 years ago uh, to meet Eco-Intelligent Growth. And, uh, and then we started collaborating with the company because their vision, uh, I really liked. It was inspired actually by the book, Cradle to Cradle, Remaking the Way We Make Things, which doesn't, well, Cradle to Cradle in the sense of being compared to what is Cradle to Grave, so the life cycle assessment in which uh, after you have used a product, you just discard it and forget uh, of where it goes and people use concepts like eliminate thinking that this you know goes away and it disappears and uh, instead uh, in this book in these principles it is said that no there's nothing well we actually know that uh, matter doesn't uh, it's not created or uh, eliminated it just transforms so uh, they started thinking and visualizing 
that matter doesn't only uh, still exist, but it can be a very valuable material. It can be a, an interesting resource because in nature we see that everything that is discarded by by uh, one of the living uh, things, for example, a tree, will be used as a resource and a, a positive resource for others. No? So this was the principle, and uh, the EIG Eco-Intelligent Growth was uh, created with this idea. And uh, and then I started uh, working uh, over seven years ago with this company. And we have been creating impact uh, by raising awareness with uh, companies that can have a lot of impact within their in, uh, supply chain, uh, within their customers, or you know, in all their surroundings, uh, obviously their workforce. Uh, we have been uh, working with companies who believe or who started understanding. Uh, some of the companies perhaps didn't understand the program, and I will explain maybe later what it is about. But uh, the beautiful thing is that uh, after a while, uh, companies get engaged and are more interested and want to do more things. Perhaps they have learned about it because of a client or because of a supplier, and then they they get curious and they want to do more things. And the this wanting to do more good is what drives us. This is my my passion, actually. So that, that's amazing. You know, the more I research about these topics and the more I talk to people all around the world for this podcast, also. The more I think, why are we at all talking about sustainability if that is the only way to do things? Now you mentioned cradle to grave, and I'm like, how funny, how, how is it even possible to think? Like adults are thinking that uh, what is on the table, as my Canadian thesis uh, advisor would say, well, when the problem is on the table and we can see it, it's the problem. When it's hidden under the table, it's kind of, you know, it doesn't exist. While that's not at all how things are in the real world. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell, me, tell me more about what are you doing currently in your work? You mentioned in our pre- pre-conversation that you're like Claudia working in the sustainable fashion. Is it, is it really what eco-intelligent growth uh, focuses on? No, actually, uh, we work in different areas, uh, mainly um, fashion and textiles, built environment, and packaging. Because uh, built environment and the textile and fashion industries are one, some of the most uh, impactful ones, currently negatively, and we want them to be impactful in the positive sense. And also back- packaging because it's mainstream. Uh, it, it applies to everything. So these are the three areas we work in. And um, with Claudia, I'm working mainly on textile and fashion, which means working with companies uh, worldwide. We have been working in, in South America, in uh, North America, in, in Europe, obviously, but um, mainly because there are brands, also some manufacturers and, and suppliers. And then uh, in Asia, in uh, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, Vietnam, different countries. Mm-hmm. How does your regular day look like, or maybe m- biggest areas of your focus in your job description list, in a way? So mainly the idea is that we um, so we work on one hand in uh, helping companies obtain cradle to cradle certification for a range of the products that they make, so because this is a product certification, uh, if this is what they want to do or we help them in, with consulting, uh, improving some of the impact that they have. No? So in, in at company level, at process level, uh, things like that. So our day-to-day would be, uh, now that we can finally come to the office again, 
So come to the office, uh, mainly perhaps starting uh, by uh, checking the email because a lot of the work that we do is uh, that's on the desk. So we have to communicate a lot with the client for them to understand what our vision is and how things have to be explained or, or measured. And then also with the supply chain, because uh, the, this program that we work with, um, Cradle to Cradle, is based, the first principle is that we want to make goods, not bads. That means uh, that we want to make products that are healthy and safe for people and for the environment, beyond uh, what regulations uh, request currently, because this is a voluntary program, certification, uh, and hence it goes uh, beyond regulations because we want to anticipate, because we want to work mainly on the precautionary principle. So then we need to communicate a lot with the supply chain who knows, who has the knowledge of what the products are made of. Some, some people ask us if uh, it wouldn't be easier to make tests of products, you know, uh, to take a product and uh, a sample and make a test. That is not um, interesting for us uh, for two reasons. And the first one is that when you do a test, you ask a question. So is this uh, substance present or uh, is it purely this substance or is there something else? So it answers right what you asked. It doesn't give you the formula because otherwise we would know the Coca-Cola formula for, by now, no? if you could learn that by a test. So um, instead, when we involve the supply chain, we can ask them directly, can you give me the recipe? Obviously that is not easy. That takes uh, confidentiality agreements, uh, non-disclosure agreements. Um, but this is the only way in which you can actually know what a product is made of. And also it allows for uh, the supply chain to be to feel involved in the process. So the client um, is not uh, going behind the suppliers back and testing their product, but asking them directly. You know, so we have seen over the years that uh, strengthens the relationship between, between the different partners and well, now partners before supplier and client. And this is key to a more sustainable and circular world, actually, economic models, etc. Because without collaboration, we cannot do all the things that we're expected to. Yeah, I see collaboration here and transparency as well. And trust. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Let, let's go closer to the subject of, the, of this episode, the cradle to cradle certification. What does it mean exactly? I have a little bit of experience with ISO certifications, mm -hmm. uh, health and safety at work and environmental management. What is, I, I've never had uh, any touch of cradle to cradle. What is it mm -hmm. in essence? Maybe what, when was it created and how does it work? Mm -hmm. This is a, now it is a certification program, but uh, as I was mentioning at the beginning, it was born actually as a book, so as a vision. So that's why it is a different program, uh, because uh, what you would expect from many of the programs, uh, certification programs, is that they are a checklist that you comply or not. Cradle to Cradle is a vision, and it is a guidance to help companies uh, make uh, more good instead of only less bad. So obviously, reduce the negative impacts, uh, it is uh, one of the short-term goals. But uh, the long-term vision is to make always a better impact, which is interesting when we're thinking about a business because there's no limit in how much better you can do that, you know, with things. Uh, instead, uh, when, when, when you aim for less bad, 
there's always a limit, zero. So, you know, it's not an interesting view to think that you're going towards zero, you know, that's, that's your end point. So uh, this was born as a vision, as I was telling you, but it was transformed into a certification after some years. Uh, first, it was a private uh, certification. And then uh, in 2010, uh, a non-for-profit organization was created, uh, which is called the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute, uh, which manages from that moment the certification program, which becomes also a third-party certification. Okay. Then this is a product certification. Uh, it is multi-attribute and multi-sectorial. What does all of this mean? So product certification means that we are not certifying a company, we're not certifying a process, we are only certifying, I don't know, let's say this product. No? Why do we do that? Uh, because we go in so much detail in the work that we do because we want to ensure that this product is safe and then uh, it can be included in a circular uh, economy model that we need to keep the scope limited. Obviously, uh, we, can, we can certify a range of products that are similar and then over time we can increase the scope. This is what companies do usually. But I was also saying that uh, it is multi-attribute. This means that we, we have a holistic approach because as I was saying, we want uh, to companies to make goods. How do we do that? So we have to select a product that will be safe and then circular which means that it will not become a waste after, after use. By having a strategy uh, for this product to be able to be included in a process and then to effectively uh, participate in making that happen, okay? And then we also go into the process. We want to understand how water is treated because we don't want to create any waste. We don't want water to become a waste either. We want it to become a resource because this is a very valuable resource. And about energy, we want to understand how energy is used, what type of energy is used. We also look all at the quantitative, uh, quantitative sorry, use, but we are especially interested in the type of energy that we use because we are uh, looking at the effects on climate. So, you know, depending on the source, if you're using coal, even if you use less coal, you will still be emitting a lot of gases and solids that you don't want in your atmosphere. Uh, instead, uh, if you perhaps produce too much uh, renewable energy, the only effect will be that you will have to share that, you know? So that's not a problem. So we, we're looking for that. And then obviously we want to understand who the company behind this product is. So we have a social fairness category that is at, pro, uh, at company level. So, and that, me, that has the aim of um, showing or promoting that companies go beyond what regulations uh, request. Mm -hmm. So this is sorry, the second uh, uh, multi-attribute and then multi-sectorial means that we can certify any type of product except for pharmaceutical and food uh, because we want to be able to benchmark uh, products in the same with the same parameters. So for example, um, behind me you will see most of the products in this in this office that you see are actually credit credit certified or have been assessed against the same uh, criteria to show that this can be done. And also the installers have been trained to install the products in a way that they will be able to be disassembled so that they will not become a waste because this is a, a huge uh, problem that we have in the building environment. The, you anticipated my next question. Okay. I did my thesis on uh, electronic waste and do I, let's say, assume right that, let's say, a phone 
should meet the criteria of disassembling uh, mm -hmm. in order to pass cradle-to-cradle -cradle certification. Exactly. We want to promote the uh, innovation. So there could be different ways in which you can in, you, in which you can manage uh, the the recovery and then uh, reuse as a resource of uh, the product that we put into the market. So one easy way could be to make the product uh, disassemblable, uh, to, so that uh, wherever this product goes, because you know, when you know in this uh, international globalized economy, you manufacture a product in one country or uh, continent and it travels to another one to be sold and perhaps uh, it travels to another one to be used. Um, obviously, if you want this product to become another resource, you have to make it easy uh, for the recipients of the product after use. If instead you can make a product that uh, can be recovered by the same manufacturer, it wouldn't perhaps need to be disassembled if they manage to recover all the materials, you know? So, but it will depend. Obviously, uh, for like for garments, uh, we, we use, uh, as you were saying, Kelly and I work in the fashion sector. Um, here we have to think of products that can be managed afterwards by any company that will, or, you know, uh, different companies that will receive this product that are not directly related to the manufacturer because it is not feasible or, viable to have the products go back to the manufacturer you know right. so yes this is a very interesting question thank you speaking of the garments uh if you were to describe to break down the life cycle within the vision of cradle to cradle of let's say a dress or a pullover how would it look like what's the end and life of it upcycling or reuse of the garment yeah i think that would be part one of the question not to overwhelm you <laughs> okay thank you so uh our idea is to think of the potential of the product uh, when it is designed so for example there are some t-shirts that uh, are designed to be biodegradable so this could be a potential solution if there is if there is a technology or if there's uh, if there is a culture to use this uh, or to make this type of use because uh, one issue that we have uh, seen is that garments that could be biodegradable degradable sorry and have been tested for that and and are effectively biodegradable are uh, recognized as a contaminant when they go into the industrial composting facilities because uh, they are not expecting this type of product also, and technically, more importantly, because they take longer, usually, than the other materials that go into the facility, so it clogs the pipes, so it's not fit for this system. So we have to think of um, the potential that the product can have, but then we have to look at the actual options that we have currently, you know, because if the technology that we have now is to recycle products, then maybe we should be working on, on doing that. Obviously, uh, recycling is one of the options. Some other options, as you were mentioning, upcycling, sharing, uh, reselling, and other models can, can come before that. Because, for example, I, I'm going back to this product. This is not fashion. Well, it's fashion, but it's not a textile. So we have this product that is mainly made of plastic. And the plastics that you have been used uh, are not very costly. So the value of this product as a whole is much higher than if you take the different parts separately. You know? So this is why it would be more interesting to, to keep the product 
as, as whole as possible so that you use less energy to transform the product and also keep the value. But what we need to keep in mind for the longer run is that we always want to redesign the product in a way that it will always be recyclable or compostable. So that not because we want to use recycled content, we are allowed to make something that will have to be burned afterwards, you know, because there's no other choice. Another kind of um, an angle that I was just thinking about is, say, electronics. Um, you have an obsolete phone. There must be, ideally, some take-back system, probably broken down to the producer. Apple phones should be going back to Apple recyclers. I don't know, let's say Samsung to Samsung because they, they are, I suppose, different, a little bit different. With clothes and fashion, do we need the same or everything can just go into the same collection? Regarding uh, textiles and fashion, what currently is happening is that uh, the products are selected by their look. So if they are still like in, in a good shape or cannot be reused in any way, on one hand, and on the other, on the main uh, materials that, the ha that have been used. If you look at the label of a product, uh, it, it tells you mainly about the fabrics that have been used in the main part of the garment. It doesn't tell you what the labels are made of. It doesn't tell you what the seams are made of. It doesn't tell you about the dyes or the coatings or the finishings that the product is made, has, has includes. No? So currently the technology is mainly focused on being able to uh, retake these main materials. So for example, denim, it can be made of 100% cotton or cotton elastane or cotton polyester. So depending on the material, it will be uh, separated and sent to a facility that shreds and mechanically recycles uh, these materials. Or if it's blends, uh, there are some companies that have been developing over the past years technologies to be able to chemically uh, separate the, the different materials and make new uh, fibers out of that. So that leaves us with the minor components. Usually they are separated if it's possible, so buttons, seams, etc., uh, labels, but the dyes and the coatings uh, are integrated in the product. So you, when you recycle a product, you don't know actually what you're putting, because you don't know what the chemical content is. So for example, people with, with uh, sensitivity on skin cannot use certain products that are not 100% verified safe. And uh, this is also one, one of our goals. So the, the technology that we have is uh, now is, is this one, but uh, fortunately there are different research projects and, and uh, technologies that are developing mainly in software uh, and you were mentioning before, no transparency. So there are different technologies that are being developed to make this uh, possible, to share this information in a safe way for the different businesses, uh, secure way. And this will enable for a different type of uh, recovering and being able to give more value actually to the different products. Because when you lose some information, you also lose value on the product. And this is not economically um, sustainable. Mm -hmm. On a transparency note, is there kind of a, a general catalog of cradle to cradle certified products? Yes, mm -hmm. there is. Really accessible? 
Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is a website of the Institute, which is uh, c2ccertified.org. And uh, there you have a menu on the top and you have the product registry. You have there in the registry all the products that have been certified in different categories. And uh, when you get to this registry, on the left, there's a vertical menu. And that menu you can select by type or you can write the name or of the supplier or sorry of the certification holder or of the product if you know the name so yeah there's different ways in, you, in which you can find the, this information the certification body is it the only one in the world or they have uh, like daughter certification companies maybe so uh good question the the certification body c2cpii credit cradle products innovation institute is the non-for-profit organization who manages the certification so they are the only ones who issue a certificate and who manage uh, and who make sure that companies can still uh, maintain the certificate after they have obtained it okay um, but then the institute has trained a number of companies worldwide to be accredited assessors this means that uh, we know the and EIG is one one of them. We know how to work on each uh, category of each level of each area of the certification, and we are trained to help companies go towards the the goal that they that they are looking for. But obviously, being vigilant to for them to be properly doing that. So yeah, this is why a company when they want to obtain a certificate they could go to the institute's website and request for more information there's a section where it, where it says uh, how to certify and then they the different steps are explained and then they can contact directly uh, the assessor if they want to for more details because this is a product certification then we need to define the product uh, first time because obviously if it's a piece of paper or a very complex project uh, product, the product will be longer or shorter, more complicated or less. I know that, for example, ISO certification, they also have uh, accredited bodies that are certifying and they have their own like auditors, certified auditors to do the work. Is it the same with Cradle to Cradle? Or let's say, the comp can the company say, we want to get this product certified and go through the process of submission evaluation i don't know what else by themselves part two of that question would be uh, i didn't see a lot of uh, i don't know hiring um cradle to cradle auditors or certificators like individuals you know so on one hand uh, the companies can not certify the products on their own and uh, they have to have the help of a trained assessor okay uh, an assessment body and they would have to first contact this assessor assessment body um, to be able to start the process obviously uh, that doesn't mean that the company will not have to work uh, that's uh, far from <laughs> the truth and this is a um, this is a certification that has uh, both quantitative requirements and qualitative requirements qualitative requirements are related to what commitments do i want to make for the future and how am, am i going to meter this. This means that we have to work together, but uh, companies have to, to effectively work with an assessor. 
the certification institute, because they manage the certification, they receive the work that the assessors uh, send them in a report with all the documents supporting the declarations uh, that we're doing on behalf of the of the applicants. Okay, so and they are the ultimate decision makers about whether a product can be certified and at what levels. Then also the applicant will have a direct contact with the institute because they will have to introduce themselves with a form explaining who the company is, what product they, they make, they want to certify, etc. And also because you are asking me for if you can find the certified product, the institute wants to have from the applicant a picture, a website, a contact person for, uh, you know, to publish that information so, mm -hmm. and so that they can get in contact. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I, perhaps I didn't mention very, very clearly is that the certification has different levels and this is because we want it, we want it to be a guidance. So depending on uh, the level that you achieve, obviously you will have more stringent requirements, but uh, we recommend companies to start by making a picture of what their product is and how they, you know, how they manage the resources and, and the company, get the level that they can with the achievements that they have, and then uh, have this two-year commitment. The certification has a validity of two years in order for companies to be able to improve on things that we have identified. Mm -hmm. and to have this commitment to continue working towards uh, improvement because there is always the possibility of improving. Right. You earlier mentioned a social fairness component. Mm -hmm. What's included in that category? Uh, on one hand, we want to understand where the companies, uh, the manufacturing facilities and the suppliers, the direct suppliers are located because depending on where they are located, there will be potential issues for human rights and labor rights um, related to the sector or the country where the companies are located. So this is the first thing that we do. And then when we identify uh, the different countries and we have like red flags from different websites saying in Australia, there's forced labor or something. Then we talk to the applicant, to the company to ask them, Okay, what do you do? Do you have a code of conduct? Do you have? Uh, do you do random visits to your suppliers? What's what's the way in which you can make sure that these risks that we see as potential are not actually happening? So this is one thing, the first one. Then we ask uh, the company for transparency by completing, for example, the UNG, the UN Global Compact self-assessment to give more information on who the company is, uh, how they manage to um, fulfill or to look forward to meeting the different uh, UN Global Compact goals, for example, or other programs. Uh, and then uh, we want them to tell us more about what they do beyond what regulations request. So this will be different uh, depending on the country. So for example, a company in Europe where there are many issues that are not uh, easily found anymore, then the projects can be related perhaps on how they uh, improve the livelihood of workers with work balance or you know flexibility or uh, different different things so it will depend on on each company these are the main things that we do and obviously we promote that companies use in the product that they will certify uh, products that have certification or or that are uh, preferred from a social standpoint for example if you want if you use cotton uh, organic cotton got certified has some uh, social features so this would be preferred 
uh, to other types of cotton, for example. Mm -hmm. Based on your experience working with different uh, companies, who from the side of the company, what kind of a person, let's say, in terms of a job titles, is responsible for submitting all of this information, global con uh, compass and so on and so forth? Mm -hmm. um, we encourage uh, to have meetings with more people from the company because of the fact that this, comp this, that this certification is multi-attribute. There are different things that will have to be supplied or explained by different uh, people. So uh, procurement, uh, design, uh, production, and, uh, and also management, of course, because not only because they will be the ones who can uh, su supply the information, but because we want this certification project to become part of the company's strategy. Maybe they don't need to certify all of their products, but that the criteria that we work for uh, in the certification program can be escalated to the full company or to the full facility in different cases. So, but in any case, uh, usually we have these initial and final meetings with all the teams, but then perhaps only one person or two manage that. And they can usually be from the sustainability department or quality. So, so it's it's a thing. A sustainability department is present. That's, that's there, are, there are some. There are some, uh, especially in bigger companies. And in smaller companies, perhaps uh, design or procurement or production. It will depend really on perhaps the idea of uh, participating in a certification project didn't come from the head office or from the managers. Perhaps it perhaps it came from the designer. Uh, so. If this comes from one person within the company, this will be the person who will lead the, the certification project because it's you know their idea and they're very excited about it. That's very good to hear. <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> uh, I was wondering, uh, what's the price range for for this to pass the certification? Mm, okay, um, because as I was mentioning, this is a product certification. Then there will be it will vary a lot depending on uh, the level that you want to achieve because with uh, higher levels you need to achieve more requirements and one thing i didn't mention is that you cannot do like in other certification programs like lead for green building that you have a scorecard and then you have you earn points for each uh, category and then you need i don't know 65 65 points to meet goal level credit to credit is not like that you have uh, different criteria sorry, different requirements for each category and you need to fulfill or you need to meet all the requirements for one level in each category to be able to meet that level. So if you obtain four gold levels and then one bronze level, you stay at bronze level, okay? So <laughs> is this uh, stranger? So uh, depending on the level and depending on the complexity of the product, as I was mentioning before, because we do a toxicology assessment, uh, on each individual substance present in each individual component that you put in your product, then uh, this is on one hand lengthy because we have to reach out to the supply chain, convince them that they have to collaborate and then obtain this information. So that takes a long while usually. And then to do this toxicology assessment that, that is also not uh, a very fast thing because we have to compare different databases, different research papers, different sources so that we can have a more objective idea of what the toxicology risks are. The price range uh, will vary a lot also because uh, the first certification is kind of the 
when we make the big picture of everything. And then when you have to do recertifications, the work is much more to validate, update on uh, what you have been doing in the past two years, etc. So to be safe, uh, the first certification could go between 10,000 and 30, depending on how many products uh, you want to certify. For Euros. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What other benefits uh, are there for the company incentives to certify uh, under cradle to cradle certification, except for the reputation? Like I clearly see the reputation. Say, I want to certify this. Um, I don't know new phone that is assemblable, reassemblable, all the piece of it is recyclable, and I want you as a cradle-to-cradle certifying um, accredited body to, to, to keep me accountable and to, to say, yes, I really did a great job, I did not harm, I did better to the environment and the society than anyone, anybody else in my range. That's the reputation. But what drives the companies to pay this amount of money, starting from 10K euros and up, go through the process, through the, all, the, all this headache and everything? What drives them? What, what is in there for them? There are many different reasons. Uh, on one example, and this is perhaps for the short term, is because uh, some clients or uh, some sectors are requesting it. For example, we were mentioning lead certification. You earn points uh, for lead if you have credit uh, credit certified products in the building. Um, so this could be a reason, or perhaps because a client has directly requested uh, the manufacturer to uh, obtain or to achieve a certification. Okay, but this is short term, and uh, this is not. As I was mentioning, this is perhaps one of the entry points. But we have seen that companies in the longer run um, understand the benefits of, of the certification and then they stay with it. Which ones are these? So there could be one uh, for complex products, let's say carpets, okay, or uh, obviously lightning with, uh, lighting with, sorry, uh, with different components that are uh, difficult to obtain information for. Um, if you want to be able to communicate or to know that your product is healthy and safe for people, you need to, be, to do all this work with the supply chain to obtain the information. Clients cannot usually do that because uh, suppliers are not eager to share information with them with the risk that they share that with the competitors. No? Yeah. So they need a third party trustee who will not share this information with them. Uh, we only give qualitative uh, reporting to the client telling them, okay, this component is safe for use or this component has some uh, issues that limit the certification to this level or things like that, but we do not uh, disclose uh, confidential information. That's you know, part of our job. Um, this is one of the reasons that they want to make sure that they know what they put in their products, which is not uh, usually what happens. Actually, you can, we do one exercise with, uh, with uh, fashion, uh, brands or designers or, or stuff and ask them, okay, from your cup, uh, t-shirt, your uh, pullover, whatever, uh, do you know how many components do you have in your product? They don't even know that, you know? So, uh, because it's so complex because you can only see the fiber because we have not been educated to look at these things. So to have the information is one of the reasons uh, why uh, companies would do that. And also uh, to anticipate future regulations and, uh, and, and risks that could appear with that. 
because when you uh, do transformation changes in your company, in your product design, in your product selection materials, etc., you can do that. If you can do that at your own pace, you can actually communicate it as a benefit. You can also do it at the velocity you are able to do that. If you have to change things because of a regulation, then you have a very hard timeline, and it usually means that you will lose some some you know competitivity at some point. So uh, the leaders are the ones who uh, you know look uh, ahead and understand that they have to act uh, as soon as possible. And obviously, uh, when when the time is right for them, that's you know to look into the future. Yeah, that, that's exactly the main reasons. Yeah. Uh, on, on top of your mind, what's one challenge that you face in your professional life that you wish was resolved as fast as possible? Something that is, maybe it's a regulation, maybe it's the client's um, approach, you, you tell me, but something that is pressing. Obviously, the fact that we don't look into the future, but we look just uh, today, what we have to do today or tomorrow, or perhaps companies think only about the financial year as a goal. This is a challenge, but not for us specifically. It is a challenge for everyone because uh, when you have this mindset, uh, you will not be prepared for things that will come your way that are unexpected. And we have seen a huge proof of that in the last yeah. month. No? So um this is and this is something that i would really love to change that but this is you know a utopia for me <laughs> but we actually see some companies that are uh, increasing an increasing number of companies that are understanding that the long-term vision can be profitable for everyone because we are not saying that we have to be that we have to lose competitiveness uh, for uh the sake of the nature and and uh, society we we think that we can have improvements for all of all of us at the same time you know so this is and benefits so this is our main goal amazing as we are approaching the end of our interview what is the piece of advice or a book recommendation maybe a movie recommendation that you could give suggest to the listeners for them to expand on their topic and research more by themselves I would really recommend the Cradle to Cradle uh, remaking the way we make things because it is, it might seem as a, because of what I said uh, of uh, guidance and something like a manual or something, it's not. It's a story, uh, different stories actually. So it's, it's enjoyable to, to read things. So I would start with that. But obviously when you go to YouTube, uh, you will find tons of things uh, that, that can can help you dig more into what you're interested in so i have to confess i haven't read the book yet so i will definitely use i have it. a chance <laughs> yes. thanks so much aglaya for your time for your you. passion for this profession and for sharing your knowledge with all of us today thanks so much a pleasure for me thank you very much for inviting thanks. and looking forward to to your work yes cool thanks so much ciao ciao thank you. Bye.
I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I hope you loved listening to this episode as much as I loved working on it. You learned hopefully something new today and got inspired to take action. If you have any questions for me or Aglaya, please don't hesitate to reach out to both of us or either of us on LinkedIn. We both are easily findable there. If you like the podcast, you know what to do. Subscribe, share on your social media, leave a review on the platform you're listening on. We are now available on more than 70 platforms. I cannot even believe that. If you review the podcast on our Podchaser page, I will reply to you in person, I promise, as I always do. By taking your time to give your honest feedback, you help me improve it, and you also help more people interested in practical aspects of sustainability to discover this channel. I always suggest some other related episodes, and today I'd like to draw your attention to the episodes called, first of all, of course, Sustainable Fashion, Where Are We Going? Interview with Claudia Sharakovsky, a colleague of Aglaya. Um, Another one, a very good one, uh, is called Circular Economy Challenges and Systemic Change with Cleona Howie-Dallerio from Climate Geek. This one is about circular economy, obviously. And on the topic of certification, a more recent episode with Pierre Servan from Factor Quality called ISO Certification, What You Need to Know as a Business. But to my personal taste, this episode will also be appreciated, I hope, not only by businesses, by, but by individuals as well. So these are the three closest to the topic episodes, uh, closest to the topic we discussed with Aglaya, and uh, hopefully it will help you expand your knowledge on circular economy and certification as such. I truly hope you will enjoy those episodes and learn a lot from other guests on the podcast. Of course, you're invited to check any other episode on the channel, on the podcast. We have a lot of exciting interviews on you know, covering a range of topics, events, bed sheets, lightning and well-being, flowers, cities and urbanism, biodiversity and conservation, um, rainforests even, tourism, fashion, economy and so many more. And I will keep doing, you know, I will keep doing this and discovering more topics, more industries and more, uh, more exciting and you know, knowledgeable guests. All right, reach out to me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions, suggest guests or topics that you'd like me to cover in the future. And I would also love to mention that now we have a YouTube channel where all the interviews slowly and steadily we fill up our YouTube channel with our Zoom interviews uh, with guests. There you can already see everyone that I have mentioned. So Claudia, uh, Cleona, Um, and others are already in the video format. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 53, and me, your host, Anna Chashina. Thank you again for listening, for being with us today and always, and until next time, next Thursday. Take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye.